Hey there, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Greg Detmeyer, one half of the Instructional Coaching Corner podcast team. Jenny is out for this one, and we are sitting down again for part three of our three-part series with author Will Wise. He wrote a book called Ask Powerful Questions, Creating Conversations That Matter. If you have not listened to the last two podcasts with him, go do that. And uh, that might help lead into this one a bit better as well. You will notice, though, that Jenny is not here. That is because we had some audio recording issues um, with our original one. The end of it did not turn out, so it is now the lost episode. Will has been gracious enough to sit down with me again, talk about some of the things that were missed on that third part. Jenny was not able to make it today. So, again, we are joined by Will Wise, author of Ask Powerful Questions. Will, how are you doing today? Ask Powerful Questions. I am doing great. Thanks for asking. I'm happy to be here. First, I want to thank you for coming back on. I know that was just one more thing, and I think today is the official launch of your book. Yes. Which is awesome. I actually got it via Amazon a few days ago, so it would have been Monday. I think it showed up on in my mailbox. So Thanks for buying a copy. Pretty, pretty excited about that. So, Will, in the book, so for the last three weeks or so since I read the original copy that you had sent out, the PDF version, I have been a little frustrated with you because <laughs> I, I relied heavily on why questions. In part of the book, you talk about dropping the why and moving toward what and how. That, is, that might have been my takeaway so far as far as something that I continue to find and use in my practice and let other people know. A, a simple thing that is seeming to have a pretty big impact. Could you talk a little bit about the problem with why questions and how we can make those better questions? I'd love to. And uh, if you permit, I'd tell a little story about what happened this last week. I Yeah, I love stories. I did an experiment in class that I've never done before. And particular folks I've been training for I'm and maybe say 12 weeks. And so my intention with this group was to say that you have all the skills necessary to amplify connection, belonging, and trust. It took me a while to set up, but without sharing all of that with you, know that I invited two people into the center of the room. There was a listener and a storyteller. And the storyteller was going to tell a story about something that they were incomplete about, something that they were still wrestling with. And the listener's job was purely just to listen. And what I was going to do was just coach in the moments and see how I could navigate and help. And so everybody in the room had their roles. I had painted all their roles out for them. And so now the learning was just going to happen through experience. And the black male kind of put his hands into his hoodie and kind of slouched in the seat a little bit and began this intense eye contact as the listener. And the white female began to tell what she was incomplete about. And her eyes were shifting to the top left corner, to the top right corner, top left corner, top right corner, back and forth as she was speaking. 
And at one moment I paused her and said, what's going on for you right now? And she couldn't quite describe it. And I said, are you trying to prove something? And she said, I don't think so. And then I asked the listener what was going on for him right now. And he's like, well, I'm trying to get what she's putting down, but I'm not quite getting it. And we had talked about listening to win and listening to understand. Listening to win is where you're trying to one up and his goal was to really listen, understand, and just get it. No other expectation other than to get it. And there was a moment they got back into the conversation and she is speaking and she says something that you could tell was concerning. Her voice cracked a little bit and she made eye contact really for the first time with her listener. And he just sat there and he got it. Like he understood what she was talking about. He knew it and she knew it. And then she said a little bit more and that was gotten. And then suddenly she had a new revelation about her life. This thing that was incomplete was suddenly she was able to step into a whole new field with it. And so she shared a little bit about that. And so I asked them after she shared to rewind. And I said, in the moments when you were looking left, looking right, in the moments when you were what I called, you were trying to prove something, what was going on for you? And she's like, well, frankly, I didn't think he would understand who I am. And then when you said that thing where your voice cracked, you knew he got it. She's like, yeah, he totally got it. And then what happened for you? It was like, he wasn't judging me anymore. And as soon as he wasn't judging me for sharing this thing that was edgy, I wasn't judging myself. As if the judger inside of me, that big judge who takes up so much space, so much of this internal conversations going on inside me, suddenly diminished and was minimized. And as soon as he was minimized, I had this whole, all this other space inside and I could mm -hmm. see the problem anew. He didn't do, the listener didn't do anything other than to listen and suddenly the judging was gone. And so going back to your question is how can we create moments like this all the time? And one of the things that we often do in, in, in a desire to be helpful is to say things like, why did you do that? But as soon as I say, why did, I, why did you do that? Inside of you, the big judge has got its hand on the panic button. Yep. And that panic button represents fear or trying to prove or other little tiny idiosyncrasies that we all travel the world with. And we're prepared to hit that panic button anytime our basic survival stuff is activated. And when I ask a why question, your hand is on that button, ready to defend, ready to protect, ready to prove what you're trying to say. And so one way as teachers and educators and facilitators that we can minimize that is ask fresh questions. And fresh questions I'm saying are starting with what and how. They're unexpected, except for how come, which is a disguised why question <laughs> with a bow tie on, or what made you? It's also a why question <laughs> with a bow tie on. Most of the time though, really good how and what questions elicit stories, understanding. And if you can be a receiver of those stories without that judgment, suddenly people will have a new aha in their own learning. Just like in this case, everybody in the room were like, oh my gosh, right. I do have this conversation, this judging piece inside of my head. And as teachers, we can simply minimize that judging conversation. Well, one, by being good listeners, but two, by rephrasing our questions in such a way that we become explorers rather than experts. 
and step into that realm of looking at it new and fresh. And one way we invite everybody in the room to do that is by asking how and what questions rather than questions in which people have to defend against, which are often start with why. That is a concept that I have taken, and I don't know if you intended it to be, but uh, example, we are with some fourth graders, we're working through a book. We're doing a, a book group. Throughout the book, we're asking them questions to get them to connect the story to their life or for them to have a discussion about this book with you know five or six other fourth grade students. I would say three weeks ago, a lot of the questions we were asking were, why did Joel do that? Why did Tony do that? And they would just say what they thought and move on. There wasn't really a discussion. They were more or less just answering it and now ready for the next thing. It was a very closed question. Lately, we've been asking what things happened that would put Joel in a situation where he did da-da-da-da-da. And even that simple little change has led them to connect themselves to the text in the character and just enrich the conversation so much. Yeah, I love it. It's as if in the first case, you're asking, uh, you know, why is it this way? You're basically saying what's wrong, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And people are going to defend that or share what's wrong. As soon as you ask what's missing, suddenly you're, you're shifting from that expert mode to that explorer mode and people are giving you information that as teachers and educators, if you're filling in what the what's missing gap, you can make some movement on that. There's a way to be able to move ahead and feel from a place of empowerment rather than a place of uh, walls and dictatorship and defense. Yeah, I would agree. And I've this is probably the one thing I've shared with more people than others, than any other thing from your book so far, like in my sphere of influence as far as teachers or even students like trying to get them to ask each other these type of questions it's like a light bulb where it's like I, I kind of even like preface it by saying like what I'm going to say may seem like really I'm air quoting nitpicky but yeah. it, it's going to you'll, you'll see it once I'm done and how much or how more of a powerful question you can create by getting rid of those whys and you explained it a lot better than I did, but on each one of those conversations, I can see those people say, yeah, that totally makes sense, that most of the why questions I'm asked, I'm usually being accused of something or being put on the spot. These how or what questions, it's really just getting at, like, letting me explain my thinking. Yeah. Which I've really enjoyed. So, Without the judgment, right? And now I'm not suddenly having to stand in front of a judge who's at the bench going, well, you're wrong, right? Yep. There's something lovely able to happen. And it fits so much into, like, our whole year this year at schools, our professional development is focused on questioning, where we're digging into, like, open questions, closed questions, and figuring out when's the best time to use each one and so forth, and how can we get students engaged in all questions. This concept, we so many times we think of a why question as being an open question, but it's really a closed question as far as they're going to say one or two things, and that's going to be the end of it. There's no deeper level thinking there. It's just a response, and let me be done answering this. 
So yeah, when you ask why people will show up with their question, their answers that they've already debated over with the judge inside of their head, when you ask how and what questions, in that moment, there's an opportunity for something fresh because you're you're coming at them in a fresh way, and they're like, "Ooh, well, I haven't thought of it that way." And then there's an opportunity for them to explore something new. So I love what you're doing. It's great. Do more of that. Uh, thank you. We will certainly continue that. Moving on, then in your book, I believe it's chapter five. You speak about empathy. Yeah. In my life, I've always struggled like determining the difference between empathy and sympathy. And I feel your explanation in the in your book as far as like having one foot in both places is probably the best explain that I've heard thus far. Would you be willing to kind of explain empathy and how it differs from sympathy? Sure. So, you know, oftentimes with empathy, we think about the cliche of walking in somebody else's shoes. And if we do that, what do we end up with? We end up with their shoes, maybe a blister, <laughs> and we're a mile away from where they are and what's going on there. And I've come to experience life that that is not really empathy. And so what is the difference between empathy and sympathy and apathy, quite frankly? And so the analogy that I think I share in the book is imagine being at a lake and your friend goes out onto the lake in the middle of winter and falls through the ice. And you just stand there and just notice that they have fallen through the ice. And so I would call that apathy, right? Just not recognizing the facts. My friend fell through the ice. And then sympathy is you leave wherever you're at and you run out there and you try to help them, but suddenly you are in the ice and you have fallen in. You're experiencing the same thing that they are. You're cold and shivering and wondering if you're going to live in the same way they are. And then the third way is your friend's fallen through the ice. You take a moment to call 911. You grab something long. You go out to where they are. You find where the solid ground is. You offer them a resource, something long for them to grab a hold of, and they help. They pull themselves out, and you encourage them to pull themselves out. And in this case, with empathy, you're ground. You have one foot grounded in what you know to be true. And you're aware of the time that you were cold and you didn't know where your next breath was going to come from. You don't get lost in that. You don't let the emotional thing take over. So I live in a small neighborhood. Most of our houses were built here in the 40s. And the people who have lived here and built these houses are passing on and were some of the first families that moved in. And we have a neighbor who similar dynamic as us and the father passed away he died and i lost it and i i didn't lose it for the fact that he had passed away i hardly knew him but i passed away what happened when he passed away is i realized what could happen to my family mm -hmm. and the story of his passing was all about me i was lost in the emotional place and so I would call that a moment of sympathy. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And as an educator, I'm not doing my best work from that location. 
I'm doing my best work when I can stand on the solid ground and recognize my neighbors, the, the mother and the children and their hardship. I am formed by my own experience and I'm able to offer myself or resources or questions or whatever it is from that place where I know what is true for me and grounded in that truth and also knowing what's true for her. So if you need an analogy with the shoes, it's as if we swap one pair of shoes and we walk together. And maybe that's not even necessary that they have my shoe, but I put on one of their shoes and I'm looking at the world through the way they see the world and how the world pushes on them and how, how they see the world is. And one of the lessons in the book that my students have taught me over the years is there's sometimes when you get an emotional trigger in which you cannot be empathetic. <laughs> one of, somebody who just bought my book sent me a really nice message. She said, and she posted it on Amazon as a review, she said, intolerance of intolerance is still intolerance. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And she was about to spend some time with people politically that had a very different perspective than her own. And she could, she was ready to fight, really. And so after reading my book, she was able to move into that encounter in such a way that she was able to recognize that their experience was their own and her experiences was her own. And so that tool here is when those emotional triggers happen, describe the world as they see it. And when you start describing the world as they see it, it opens up the doorway for you to go, oh, so they're seeing the world push on them in this particular way. They're seeing that there's not enough of X resource. They're, they're not feeling like they're enough, whatever it is. When you describe that to them, it offers an opportunity for empathy to exist. The less of that judger shows up in the conversation, and then they can have their own unveiling with that. Yep. And especially with teachers, as a, as a lifetime educator, there's one, I do my worst work when I start telling my students, this is how the world is. Mm -hmm. I can start relating, having them, we have a sense of relatingness to each other in which their story of how the world is pushing on them shows up in the conversation, they then get to be in charge and create the world as they want to create it within the context of my architecture of learning experience that I'm creating. I become less of the teacher and more of the architect in creating a learning experience in which they're learning of their own accord, just through some small nudges, some small questions that help them reveal it for themselves. So I think hearing hearing you talk about empathy there i feel like i was in a position this week and i'm going to tell a quick little story and maybe i'm right or wrong here it fits or it doesn't i walked into a classroom with a teacher who she had just gotten a phone call from her sister that her dad was being taken to the hospital mm. and i was the first person she saw after getting off the phone which was a, a situation that I struggle with to begin with, but showing empathy, I feel it left me in a place where I understood what she was feeling and what she was going through. But at the same time, I was in a place where not where I was like 
not where sympathy was kicking in, where I still felt like I had an area of action that I could be of some support. Yeah. Kind of like the friend who fell on the ice where it's like, I, I, I feel, I understand what you're going through, but that's not a direct, a direct weight on me that I can still say like, can I cover your room? Do you need to leave? Do you need me to do anything? Because I'm here to do that. But I feel like if it was full sympathy, I may have been in a spot where I wasn't emotionally able to provide any support. I think that's a great example, right? So if you would have fallen in the ice, you would have thought about your own recent loss. And then her loss would be a mirror of your own loss. And now you've got this tanglement of loss that's showing up. When you're empathetic as I'm describing it, suddenly you have an access to the ability to use whatever the emotions are showing up, but not letting the emotions be the dictator. And so you have an ability to be able to see, oh, this might be helpful. You know, sometimes when we think about when sympathy shows up, we want to fix it. People don't want to be fixed. And so one way you could have been of service is to say, wow, that must be really challenging. And now you're feeling like you got to manage this classroom. That could be overwhelming. And she's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you could be like, well, I'm here. Is there a way that I could be helpful for you? And suddenly there's a way you guys could have a conversation about moving forward. And she's like, yep, I've just got to step out of the room for a minute. And you're great. All right, class, let me tell you a story about mm-hmm. the time. <laughs> Off you go, right? Yep, totally. So it makes sense, and there is a huge, a huge difference between the two. Well, Will, that is the end of our time together. I want to thank you for stepping up and recording the first time, the lost episode, as well as the original one and two, and for coming back on and doing this uh, number three again with us. We have learned a lot about questioning, about connecting, about relationships, from my conversations with you from our book, and I really hope the same benefit goes out to our listener audience. Is there anything that you want to wrap up with or say in closing? Sure. So I want to thank both you and Jenny, because there's an obvious in our conversations that you guys are wanting to uplift those around you and you're doing it in such a way that you're it's obvious that you're committed to something bigger and it's not about you it's about them and it's about the students and that's contagious and i love being in that space with you and to put a plug for the book there is a way that um if teachers could access the ability to ask questions consistently and powerfully their own learning and the learning of the students would definitely get amplified. And as somebody who's done a fair number of train the trainers with teachers, I think that's really what the focus of me writing the book was, was wanting people to be able to explore the hard and difficult conversations and to get access to new ways of thinking through the power of questions. And so the book is available on our website. And so our website is kind of fun to say. Our company's name is We and Me. And so like you and I.
www.bandandme. There's not a .com. And you get, if you find the store there, you'll see all of our tools and some of which, like the We Connect cards and the We Engage cards, teachers really love because within 10 or 15 minutes, they can get their classroom totally engaged with questions in a really fun and powerful way that sometimes we have school districts by 200 of them at a time. Well, that concludes our three-part series with Will Wise, author of Ask Powerful Questions. Seriously, people, go buy that one. It is a good one. I want to send a special thank you to Clint Heights. Clint actually got this whole thing started. He sent me an email a while back saying that Will was writing this book and that he had used the Quick Connect cards that Will actually just mentioned in the podcast to uh, to great success. So thank you for that, Clint. I appreciate it, and I'm sure our audience does as well. If you have any thoughts, please let us know. Go to www.iccpodcast.com. Check out our contact area and leave us some listener mail. We love hearing from people. You can also follow us on Facebook at Instructional Coaching Corner and on Twitter at ICC underscore podcast. If you would be so kind, please uh, give us a rating on your podcast listening site. If it's iTunes or Google Play or Podcast Addict, whatever it might be, maybe it's on Stitcher, that helps other people find our content because it boosts us up in the search list. So it's not just us trying to be greedy and wanting a bunch of likes and stars and so forth. It's just to uh, help those who might be looking for similar content. As always, as we leave, ask yourself, what one thing could I do tomorrow that will make me a better version of myself? Then wake up and do it, because greatness isn't achieved by one single step, but instead a series of small, intentional steps. Go be awesome.